What is the first day of May? May Day. And that means we have a five-Sunday month. Yeah, that's always exciting for pastors because that means we get one more week to shout at you in the month. Yeah, so May has five Sundays. I'm looking forward to getting into a new series today in the book of James. And the theme of our series is Joyful. You know, we all want joy, but we don't necessarily want the path involved in getting to joy. And this morning, we're going to start in James chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 8, with a message called, Count It All Joy. As Brother Scott mentioned, next Sunday is Mother's Day. And if your mother's living in the area, I hope you'll invite her to be your guest. Uh, not just to church, but next, uh, this Saturday as well, uh, to the ladies, is it luncheon or tea or cookie or what is it? What's it called? Brunch. Thank you. The ladies' brunch is out in the gymnasium on the back of the property, and I think it said 11 o'clock. So, ladies, don't forget that, and also invite your mom to church. If you're a mom, invite all your kids to come with you next Sunday as well. Now, coming up on the last Sunday of the month, we've got the Memorial Weekend Breakfast uh, for everybody at 9.30 out in the gym, and we won't have any first-hour classes that Sunday uh, so that everyone can fellowship together. So that's coming up here in May. Here we go now. Let's read the first eight verses in the book of James. James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Yeah, so we're going to look at this this morning as we get into this series, Joyful. You know, when trouble comes, when faith gets tested, I can either view it as a sentence of doom or as an opportunity for God to develop my joy. It's our sermon this morning, Count It All Joy. Now, we're going to see four parts of the passage this morning, and I encourage you to follow along in the notes provided in your bulletin uh, or on the YouVersion app if you'd like to go there. Uh, In verses 2 and 3, let's look first at the calculus of joy. The calculus of joy. My brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trine of your faith worketh patience. Now, you hear terms like divers' temptations or severe testings or difficult trials. Those don't sound at all like the path to joy, right? In the human mind, it's hard to comprehend how difficulty produces joy, right? It's it's tough to, to understand 
How could difficulty produce joy? But in God's economy, the road to the promised land always travels through the wilderness. Real joy doesn't come without the process of patience. And if you look at Scripture and you look at life in general, instant gratification never produces authentic joy. Now, this is hard for us, especially in a generation when they're selling instant everything, right? And there's instant everything. And it is tough to separate the instant fix on, on so many things with the long process of joy that happens only through patience and testing. Uh, you realize that people don't just hop up off the couch where they've been sitting there eating Cheetos and bonbons and uh, go swim in the Olympics, right? Uh, there's a process involved. It is a long process. And it is a horrible process. You think about what uh, the swimmer, I remember reading about Michael Phelps years ago when he was winning all those gold medals in the Olympics. Uh, he, for four years, had a, a routine where he had to eat 5,000 calories a day uh, on a certain diet. And if you think that that's easy, it's not easy to even eat that many calories. And uh, then he worked for so, some people are saying, you don't know me, dude. Pass me the chocolate chip ice cream, right? Um, but he had to work out for so many hours, and he had to swim, these uh, grueling routines for hours and hours a day. And when he won the race and won the gold medal, that's why it was so fulfilling, because he had put in all the work. And uh, there are people, uh, you know, who sit on their couch, oh, I could do that, right? I could do that. Uh, but she, like, won't even swim across the kiddie pool in your backyard. So uh, it takes a little bit to get there. There's some math involved, and it's tough to separate this instant urge with God's process of patience and joy. And we would rather not go through what's called the trying of our faith. And here's James telling us to count it all joy. Now, I'll tell you this. God's math always leads to the right result. God's math always does. And God's math doesn't make sense to us in a lot of ways, right? In Scripture, God tells us, hey, if you give a tenth, then I'll provide you with more than you had, right? It doesn't make any sense to us because when we do math in our ledger, like, no, if I give a tenth, I only have 90%. And God says, no, actually, you can do more with 90% than you can with 100 if you're giving me the 10. And his calculus, his math is just always right on. Uh, in the Old Testament history book of Ezra, uh, you may want to turn there because we'll look at it in just a minute. In Ezra chapter 1, Cyrus the Great of Persia made a special decree. And 42,666 Jews left from the capital of Persia in this long caravan to travel hundreds of miles back to their homeland so that they could rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar's men 70 years earlier. And most of the people in the caravan had grown up in Persia. They'd never been to Jerusalem. They had never fully experienced Judaism, uh, even though they were aware of some of the writings and the feasts and the traditions. And, and when they got to the city, uh, back in the city of Jerusalem, the first thing that they did was they set up the altar of God 
on its bases, and they offered the first burnt offering on that site in 70 years. Then they kept what's called the Feast of the Tabernacles, and soon the builders laid the foundation for the temple to be rebuilt. And I want you to see what happened. It's in Ezra chapter 3. Okay, so Ezra chapter 3. Look at this. This is so, such a beautiful passage. Ezra 3, verse number 11. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good. For his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Have you ever had so much joy that tears came out of your eyes? Have you had so much joy that you wept? And people didn't know whether you were sad or happy? Right? It's this point of joy. Now, why do these ancient men have such joy? Because they had waited the longest. Because they had seen the temple before its destruction. The only way they could have experienced the joy of that moment was to go through the trial of 70 years in captivity. Patience led to joy. Joy that was grounded in gratitude. Now, let's go back to James chapter 1, and we're going to see this next part of the message in verse number 4. So all the way back to James chapter 1, and let's see the consent to joy. The consent to joy. And I want you to look at verse number 4. And if you circle or underline or highlight in your Bible, there's something to circle or underline or highlight here. Look what it says. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let patience have her perfect work. Strangely enough, God doesn't bring joy into your life without permission. You have to let patience have her perfect work. Most Christians never experience full joy because they never release their hold on controlling and manipulating and excusing outcomes. And if your faith is never tested, you can't know if it's authentic. I heard a quote the other day. It's, it's a really good quote. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Yeah, that's very true. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And when I think of people in Scripture who were tested, uh, I always think of Abraham. And that guy was tested in a variety of ways over a long period of time. And Hebrews actually starts the description of his faith this way in Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Now, that obedience was his consent for God 
to lead him on the path to joy. And it says, so he went out not knowing where he went. Now, Genesis 12 tells the story. Uh, God had said to him, get out of your country, uh, go away from the kindred in your father's house, head to our land that I'll show you. Yeah, Genesis 12, 4 says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And you can imagine uh, his conversation with his wife, Sarai, right? Hey, Abram, where are we going? I don't know. Uh, How long will it take to get there? I don't know. Uh, Why are we going? Because God said to go. Can you imagine this conversation, right? And think about the kids who were in the caravan. Uh, How long till we get there? Don't know, right? The GPS hasn't even been invented on this yet. We have no idea where we're headed. And uh, God said to go. That initial test of obedience gave God the consent to do a work in Abram's life. Think of it this way. If God had told Abram to get out of his land and get away from his kindred, go to a land that I'll show you, and Abram just went back to work the next day and never left his homeland, could God have ever done this work in his life? No. His obedience was a consent for God to work in his life. And and so that initial test of obedience gave God the opportunity to do something in his life. But Abraham wasn't just tested in obedience. Right away in Genesis 12, they finally get to the promised land, and there is a test of provision. Uh, right, right as they come to Canaan, God uh, wanted them to go to Canaan, and there's this famine in the land. And would Abraham trust God to provide? The answer is no. He went down into Egypt. He didn't pass the test but God was still working in his life. And by the way, whether you pass or fail the test, God's still working in your life. Uh, Then in Egypt, he gets down in Egypt, he's tested in his honesty. And again, he didn't pass the test. When they got to Egypt, uh, he asked his wife to be dishonest and say that she was his sister because he was afraid the Egyptians would kill him to get her. He failed the honesty test. The Pharaoh took Sarah to his house, and his whole household was plagued. And and when Pharaoh figured out who Sarah really was, he told Abraham to take his wife and get out. That's at the end of chapter 12. And, And so they traveled back to Bethel. Bethel is the place where Abraham had first built the altar. And at Bethel, he renewed his relationship with God. Now, right away, uh, we get into chapter 13, there's another test. See, Abraham's shepherds kept getting into fights with the nephew Lot shepherds. Uh, The two wealthy men needed to separate from each other, and the conflict brought about this test. Uh, This time was a test of culture. Would Abraham embrace the world, or would he avoid its temptations? Well, as you read through chapter 13, you find out that Lot lifted up his eyes and chose the allure of Sodom, while Abraham pitched his tent in Canaan. And so Abraham passed the test of culture. It is one that we're all going to be faced with. Uh, Are we going to buy into what the world's selling, or will we be very cautious and remember that the world is the enemy of our God, making the world our enemy as well? 
the next test was a hard one. And the great man of faith got knocked down again. And this was the test of patience. Uh, what we're talking about in James 1. See, God had promised that Abraham, through his seed, uh, would be the father of a great nation. And yet, more than 10 years had passed since that promise. Right? Now, if God came to you and said, hey, you're just going to have all sorts of descendants, right? Out of your sea, there's going to be families. It's like going to be like the sand of the seashore. And 10 years later, you had zero kids. Would that worry you just a little bit? Uh, and it, it, 10 years later, the promise hadn't come. He and Sarah still had no child. Sarah had become impatient. Abraham had become impatient. And, and Sarah offered her Egyptian handmaid to Abraham as a concubine so that there would be a child. Instead of trusting in God, Abraham accepted the offer, and Ishmael was born. Now, don't just skip past what failing this test meant in Abraham's life. Uh, he had no idea how far away from God it would take him. He could never have guessed how long it would be before his relationship with God was restored. He certainly couldn't foresee the long-lasting issues that the descendants of Ishmael would cause to the people of Israel. After the test of Abraham's patience, God did not speak to Abraham again for 13 years. This is the friend of God. God did not speak to him again. No communication for 13 years. And when God mercifully renewed his covenant with Abraham, this man, still in the process of faith, fell on his face. He was broken. His life was bare before God. And I want you to know that every test God brings into your life is a permission point. Every single one is a permission point. Whether you pass it or fail it, you are giving God entrance into your life, okay? The fact that you take the test is a permission point, right? If you pass it, God will keep working on you. If you fail it, God will keep working on you. But as long as you keep taking the tests, God will keep working. And a lot of people just say, I don't want any more tests. I'm done with testing, okay? A testing, I'm out on that. But if you're going to let patience have her perfect work, then you have to let patience hit you again, and you have to keep coming back to it. You say, Pastor, how could this possibly lead to joy? Because it's God's process, and he says we can count it all joy. All. We can count it all joy. Not just the prize, but the entire process. We can count all joy. You know why Abraham fell on his face in Genesis 17? Because he was overwhelmed that God was still working in his life. He didn't deserve it. None of us do. But God's mercy was great even when Abraham's faith wasn't. And Abraham kept walking. In American history, uh, there are dates that always stand out that you probably learned in school when you were second or third grade, right? A Declaration of Independence was signed in... 1776. Thank you. Good job, everybody. Uh, 
<laughs> Should I do any more? The War of 1812 started in... Good, I gave you an easy one. Who was buried in Grant's tomb? Grant and his wife. <laughs> okay, sorry, that was a trick question. Um, in 1492, somebody sailed the ocean blue. Columbus, right? Christopher Columbus. And he is an iconic historical figure because of his discovery of a new world. He landed down in the Dominican Republic area. And I read a story about the journal that Columbus kept every day. And on many days in his journal, here was his journal entry. Here's what it said. I love this. Today we sailed on. That's it. Today we sailed on. Nothing more, nothing less. Imagine day after day the mundane process of simply sailing on. But that's the process that led him to the new world. In Hebrews 12, God calls us to run with patience the race that is set before us. You ever get impatient? You ever want all your goals to happen immediately? Right? You ever want that baby in your womb to just be born already? <laughs> uh, ever want all your prayers to be answered like right now? What would happen if we just agree with God's process? God, I agree to move at your pace for my life because you have good plans for me because that's where the joy is. There may be a lot of days that have a four-word description. Today, we sailed on. Today, we sailed on. But those days add up to a life lived for God's glory. And that's the approach that Abraham today had. Today, I walked on because that next step was permission for God to build my life and for patience to have her perfect work. Now, I want you to go to James 1, and let's see verse number 5. James 1, 5, this is a powerful verse. If any of you lack wisdom, and by the way, we all lack wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Okay, liberally. That means that he gives us more than we need. He gives abundantly. Uh, he's a, a liberal heart. He's willing to give. And in America, we have sometimes what are called conservatives and liberals. And in the United States, liberals, that doesn't mean that they give away their money. It means that they give away other people's money. Okay? But God, in James 1.5, he gives liberally uh, to those who ask for wisdom. And as soon as I agree with God's development of my faith, he's ready to provide wisdom. Let's talk about the contribution to joy. The contribution to joy. God is ready to give us wisdom and ready to provide the wisdom necessary for me to move forward in my life if I'll only ask in faith. And he provides abundant wisdom daily, hourly, moment by moment. The, the most joyful people I know are the ones who receive God's wisdom for their lives and then courageously act on God's wisdom. 
But you don't receive God's wisdom with a half-hearted, casual attitude. You don't get God's wisdom along with the trivial things in pop culture and the gossip on social media. You don't get God's wisdom when you plan on doing nothing with it. You get God's wisdom when it is the only thing you seek, when you ask in faith. So look at this as it keeps going. It says, if any of you ask wisdom, let him ask of God. He's going to give it to you. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's talk about the core of joy. The core of joy. Joy doesn't come through a circumstance or an achievement or an earthly relationship or any temporal thing. Joy comes through fully believing and embracing that God desires good for me. Uh, But if you haven't noticed from the rest of the message, you don't start at this point in your faith journey. You have to go through all sorts of tests before you ever arrive at this one. And uh, this is more of a final exam. If you show up to a class on the first day of the semester and they hand you the final exam, how many understand you're in big trouble, right? Uh, Now, sometimes they did that. I remember a couple classes in college where they would give you the final exam on the first day, and you would take it and feel helpless and completely vomit, and you didn't know anything. And then the professor would say, this is why we're going to have this class. By the end of this semester, we're going to take this test again, and you'll know all the answers. And I thought that was a neat approach. Uh, But God doesn't do that. God doesn't give you the final exam first. He uh, gives you test after test and prepares you for the final exam. Uh, You have to be prepared for it. uh, There's an educational journey that gets you ready for a test like that. It's the same way with faith. This is the test where you have what might be called an Abraham moment. See, we talked about Abraham and all his testing, and after Abraham had walked his faith journey for many years, he faced the ultimate test. He was tested through the sacrifice of what was most important to him, the son that he had waited for, the son that God had promised him, Isaac. And at this final exam was to see if Abraham fully trusted God with his most prized possession. Did he trust God enough to relinquish control of his son? Did he trust God enough to stand helpless before God? As you read through the pages of Scripture, you find that helplessness is an introduction to the grace of God, right? You don't get the grace without being helpless. You can't live under your control and God's control at the same time. You can't live in your strength and God's strength at the same time. You can't trust in God and yourself at the same time. As we see in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And if you think about Genesis 22, where Abraham's final exam took place, 
God calls to him and says, Abraham, yes, God, behold, here I am, right here. Take now your son, your promised son, Isaac, who you love so dearly. Go on a journey to the land of Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to me on one of the mountains that I'll show you. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, prepared for a journey, and went. Took three days to get there. Abraham walked with his son up the mountain. Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice. He's probably a teenager. Abraham carried the fire and a knife. They're walking up the mountain, and if you've ever had a teenage son, they've been known to ask a few questions. Isaac says, hey, Dad. Yes, son. Dad, we've got fire and wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Pretty sharp kid, right? He figured that one out. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. They came to the place. Abraham built an altar of stones. He laid the wood on it. And then he placed his son, the most precious thing in his life, on the altar. And Isaac willingly got on there because Abraham could not have overpowered him. Abraham raised his hand with the knife in it, only to be stopped by an angel. Lay not your hand upon the lad. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. But the lamb was only provided when Abraham trusted God completely. That, my friends, is an Abraham moment. Maybe you've had one. If you continue on your faith journey, there's one coming. A time when your faith in God will be tested like never before. And the only way to be prepared for the test of your faith is to let patience have her perfect work. You're going to pass some tests and fail some other tests. We all do. Stay on the path. Today, sail on. Then tomorrow, sail on again. When we think of the trial of Abraham's faith, joy certainly isn't the first thing that comes into our minds. James says, count it all joy. The trial, the test, the journey, the process, all of it. When Abraham first heard from God and started on his journey of faith, he believed God, but he struggled to completely trust in God's goodness. Uh, Worry is thinking that God won't get it right. Bitterness is thinking God got it wrong. Trust is believing and knowing God always gets it right. I want you to look at the end of Abraham's story in Genesis 22, and I just want you to read with me just a few verses here at the end of this. Genesis 22, starting at verse number 15. 
And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, it is not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. It is the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now, here's the thing. God had promised this before. God had promised it before. But now Abraham truly believed what God was saying. His joy was full. And I would submit to you this morning that joy is believing and knowing that God always gets it right. That's what joy is. Joy is believing and knowing that God always gets it right. Joy is not situational. It is resting in God's goodness. I love this story in Acts 27. Paul was being transported as a prisoner on a ship across the Mediterranean Sea to Rome. And when the wind stalled on the ship, Paul stood up and told all 276 people on the ship, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Well, the centurion wouldn't listen, and so they went ahead and sailed on directly into a giant storm called Eurocladon. And things got so bad that all hope they would be saved was taken away. And then Paul stood up again and said, uh, first he had to stick it to him a little bit. He said, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and uh, to have gained this harm and loss. Then he said this, listen to this. It's in Acts 27, 25. It's so profound. He said this. Now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. See, Paul had received word from an angel that he'd be brought before Caesar, and all the people on the ship would live. And his next statement, verse 25, Acts 27, 25, puts our whole message into one sentence. This is a powerful sentence. Listen to what Paul said. Wherefore, sirs... Be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Check that again. Acts 27, 25. I had to memorize this in fifth grade, I remember. Still remember. And the teacher said, we're going to do memorize Acts 27, 25 today. And he always had kind of a different pitches that he learned, help you learn it better. And he said, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And wow, that's the description of joy. How do you have good cheer in the middle of the worst storm you've ever experienced? How can your joy be full as you face an Abraham moment? There's only one way. You believe God that it shall be as he has said. And that's our faith challenge. Only by completely trusting in God's goodness will you experience full joy. 
When the trial comes, and it's coming, what will your perspective be? God, get me out of here right now. Why are you doing this to me? God, why is this happening to me? God, why, 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 why? Or God, I trust in you completely. Form my faith. Make me like Jesus. I believe. Help my unbelief. Count it all joy. Now, every person in this room is in a different place right now. Some are new to faith. Some maybe have never trusted Christ as Savior. And you maybe don't have a full understanding of even what we're talking about. There are some who you've gone through the tests, and maybe you've already experienced an Abraham moment where you had to lay everything on the altar and trust God. Wherever you're at in your life today, the only way you get full joy is by believing that God is going to do what God said he's going to do concerning you. God is good, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance. And when you fully trust him, it shapes your life. It's what James 1 is talking about. As we finish today, I just want to read our text passage, and let's see if we come away with it, come away from it with more perspective now. James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's pray together. As we pray this morning, there may be something that you need to talk to God about. Could be that you've never trusted him with salvation, with your eternal life. You need to ask him to be your savior. It could be that you need to say, God, I'm struggling with my faith. Strengthen my faith. I believe in you. Help my unbelief. You may be going through a trial right now that nobody else knows about. You may be going through a struggle like you've never faced before. And I want you to know that God is there for you, just like he was for Abraham. He is the God who will provide. Father, thank you for working on our hearts through your word. I pray that you would continually shape us and mold us as we allow you, as we permit you to continue to work in our lives. And as we go through trials, help us to move from asking why to living in gratitude for what you're doing. And I know that that process is so difficult. Only you can shape us that way. 
and mold our hearts to be like you. Guide us now through this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you on Mother's Day. Love you. Rhythm.